there yet for the reading. I encourage you to have your copy of God's Word to Jonah uh, chapter 4. We have been noticing with, with Jonah that we have a wayward, rebellious prophet that God is doing everything that he can to rescue him, to save him from his error. And even here in chapter 4, it is stunning to see where Jonah is at with things. Chapter 3 was Jonah proclaiming to the city 40 days and then Nineveh will be destroyed. There has been a wholesale repentance of cities, small and great, even the king repenting, tearing his clothes, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, And Jonah's response to that in chapter 4 was to be angry at God because God has now relented from the disaster. And one of the key characteristics of God is that he will relent if we will repent. And that's what happens here is the, 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 the people repent and God says, I'll relent of this judgment and disaster that I have proclaimed. Well, Jonah is absolutely angry with that. And last week we noted God's question to Jonah in verse four of chapter four, which was, do you do well to be angry? We spent our time talking about Jonah's anger there. You will notice that Jonah's not moved by that question, however. You will notice in verse five, it tells us that Jonah decides he is going to go sit to the east of the city. And he says there in verse 5 that he is going to see what would become of the city. That is an interesting description about what Jonah is doing. God said he was relenting of the disaster. And you're getting a picture that Jonah still is hoping somehow, some way, God's going to destroy this city after all. Maybe God's going to change his mind. I know that the People repented and God is not bringing judgment and and Jonah's angry at God because God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and compassionate. And so Jonah sits at the outskirts of the city and he's just watching it. And it appears that he wants ultimately no mercy to be given to Nineveh. And now at this point, you've been with us in this study for all of these weeks, would you not expect God to go, all right, Joan, I've had enough of you. I mean, you've run the wrong way. You have rebelled in every way possible. I had a fish swallow you and save you. And you still are not on board with my plan. And I want you to notice what we see in verse 6. In verse 6, we read, Now the Lord appointed a plant. And made it come up over Jonah that he might have shade for his head and save him from his discomfort. This is a really fun wordplay that is happening here. That God is going to save Jonah from his discomfort with this plant. Now, surface level, yes, it is hot. He's sitting out the side of the city. He's hoping for the demise of the city, looking forward to God's judgment. And God now causes the shade to rise up through this plant over the head of, of Jonah. But this word discomfort is the exact same Hebrew word back in verse 1 that we looked at last week where we saw that when God relented of the disaster against Nineveh, 
that Jonah found that to be a disaster to him or a calamity to him or an evil to him. In fact, you might have a footnote in your Bible that says for that word discomfort, this word means evil, calamity, disaster, discomfort. It has that semantic range. And so it's not just simply God's going, oh, my poor prophet, I should give him some shade because he's hot. No, this is now one more effort to try to save Jonah from his evil. This is one more chance to try to save him from the spiritual disaster path that he has been on this whole time. And it seemed like we had a repentance in Jonah back in chapter 2 and verse 10. But now we have Jonah angry at God. And now Jonah is sitting at the outskirts of the city, hoping for the, the city's disaster and destruction. And we're told here the Lord is going to do one more thing to try to save him. And one of the things that I want you to think about that, that God is doing here in this moment is that God is going to start by making Jonah comfortable. In fact, it is somewhat fascinating to think about what's happened here in verse 6, because God appoints the plant that puts the shade over his head to save him from his discomfort, his disaster, his evil. And notice what the end of verse 6 says. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Because of the planet. He is so happy that God has made him comfortable. Now think about the contrast. Go back to verse 1 of the chapter. When God relented of the disaster, the same wording, he was exceedingly angry because God did not destroy Nineveh. But now Jonah is exceedingly glad Because he has some shade. This is where Jonah is at. That Jonah is really all about his comfort. He's only happy when he's comfortable. He's only happy when God is doing what he wants. He's only happy when God is operating in something that directly affects him for his good. He doesn't care about other people. He certainly doesn't care about Nineveh. But give him a plant. Give him a little bit of shade. Oh, he's got a big smile on his face. And there he sits under the plant, enjoying the shade. And so God begins by giving him a little comfort. Only to see verse 7. And when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. You have to love what God is doing here. First, God appoints the plant. Then God appoints the worm to attack the plant. And then God appoints a scorching east wind to make Jonah even more uncomfortable. Make it really, really hot. I want us to observe that, you know, sometimes when we think about how God works, 
We only think about God working through some like, you know, massive miracle. It's only God if the skies open up and, you know, the the sun beats down and a voice from heaven cries out. Oh, that's clearly from God. I want you to notice that God can do his work through a worm. (laughs) And he can do his work through a wind. He is going to save Jonah through a plant, a worm, and a wind. (laughs) This is what he's operating with. This is how he's going to try to rescue this man from all of his evil. He first gives him some comfort, make him happy, and then he takes away that comfort. And I want you to note that it is almost as if what God has to do is push Jonah ultimately to his edge to try to teach him a lesson, to try to wake him up, to try to get his eyes open, to pay attention to what God is doing. And it is an interesting response that Jonah does not say, oh, I clearly see that this is silly of me to be angry that the plant has died. No. He says, please kill me, for it is better for me to die and to live. And notice God challenges him on this thinking in verse 9. Same question that he asked earlier in verse 4. Do you do well? To be angry for the plant. And Jonah should have said, no, this is silly. But I know all of us in the heat of our anger all think clearly. (laughs) And can take a step back and go, you're right. This isn't, I shouldn't be thinking this way. You'll notice that Jonah doubles down. I am right to be angry, angry enough to die. We've never said that to somebody, right? You think you should be angry? Yes, I should be. (laughs) In fact, I should be more angry than I'm angry right now. That's how Jonah feels at this moment. But God is trying to communicate something here and trying to get him to understand a particular teaching. And notice what the teaching is in verse 10. The Lord said, you pity the plant. For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in the night. I want you to notice, he cares for this plant. He's trying to move Jonah. I want you to think about where you're at right now, Jonah. You were so happy over a plant. And now you're so angry, angry enough that you want to die. Over a plant. Now, what's really interesting is you would expect God's teaching to be like, don't you see how anger is dumb? That was last week's lesson. We won't go there because that's not what God does right here. Notice instead what God does is he's trying to teach the way God operates in the world. Verse 11. So should not I pity Nineveh, the great city? In which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left as well as many cattle. You're moved and upset over a plant. You didn't grow the plant. You didn't do anything for the plant. You had no role in the plant whatsoever. And I want you to think about how God's responding by saying, So don't you think I should care for people 
who I did create and who I do care for and who I do help and who I do provide for. You did nothing for the plant and you're really, really upset about that. So how much more should God care for people with whom he is deeply invested? That's what he's trying to drive at Jonah. Is you need to understand the heart that God has for his creation. And the book of Jonah is driving at this. God loves to love people. God loves his creation. In fact, that is underscored in the way this whole book ends. In fact, some people are really thrown by this when it says 120,000 people and the cattle. And it's like, and the cattle? Why the cattle? Why, why was that thrown in here? Why, that, what is God trying to say about cattle that you put them in the same sentence with 120,000 people of the capital city of Assyria called Nineveh? But don't forget what had happened earlier. You might remember in chapter 3, after Jonah goes about proclaiming on the first day, 40 days, and then Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Remember what happens. It says all of the people began to fast along with the king and wearing sackcloth there, mourning and crying out to God. Do you remember what else they did, though? They made all the animals wear sackcloth too. Remember that? <laughs> Remember I said, that the animals have been like, what is going on with this? <laughs> Why are we all wearing sackcloth right now? This is really uncomfortable. The whole point of chapter 3 was to speak of how widespread and vast this repentance was. It wasn't a few people. The whole city is repenting, and they're so sincere about it, they're even dressing up the animals and making them uncomfortable to try to call out to God. We're all calling out for repentance, and God is spinning that back around to Jonah and saying, how can I not relent when there was such a massive repentance? Jonah, you want me to French fry Nineveh, but they're all repentant. Look how they've turned back to me. Look how they care for me. Look how they've called out to me from top to bottom. It has been a wholesale repentance. And this is what he's trying to get across ultimately to Jonah. And I think this is interesting to think about this contrast that is being put before us. Jonah cares more about the shade from the plant than he cares about the people of Nineveh. And God's calling him out on it. You care more about a plant and the comfort that plant provided you than you care about all those souls in the city. Now let me modernize that a little bit since we don't sit under plants and shade. Do we care more about our air conditioning than the people in the city who are lost. That'd be the modern conversion. Do we care more about our own personal comfort and how it affects us than have pity of people who are lost? 
That's how God is getting to Jonah. How could God not care for these people? And the implication is, Jonah, how could you not care for these people? It is the heart of God because, friends, I want us to see that God absolutely means it when he says, I do not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That is not a throwaway sentence about, you know, here's the general love of God for people. The book of Jonah is proving it. He really means I do not want to destroy anybody. I don't want anyone to receive the rightful justice for their sins. And that's the argument Peter is making. What's taking so long? Why are your promises delayed? Why don't you hurry up and come back? Because God is not interested in destroying a single person if he can possibly help it. Jonah's sitting there at the edge of the city going at French fry him. I want to see him burn. Kill him. Destroy. And God's saying, that's not my heart. That's not how I look at people. That's not my character. That is ultimately not my desire. And we should know that. If God was intent on our destruction, God just has to sit back and do nothing. And it would ultimately happen. The cross of Christ constantly stands as the proof of how much he cares for you. Because if he wanted you to perish in eternal judgment, he just had to start the world and sit back and watch. And there's none righteous. No, not one. But we obviously have a God who is compassionate and who desires to save people because he loves people. Let me get to the big idea and then a couple of applications with with this picture. What's Jonah's problem ultimately? I think we can frame it two ways. It's the same idea either way. Jonah doesn't have a heart for people like God does, clearly. But to put this really another way, Jonah only wants mercy for himself and not others. When you read the book of Jonah, you are seeing how often Jonah is the recipient of God's mercy. Jonah's told, go to Nineveh. Jonah goes the other way. God lets him. He gets on a ship and starts leaving from the presence of the Lord and God lets him. And rather than killing him on the boat, he's thrown into the sea. And rather than letting him drown, he is swallowed up by a fish. Rather than letting him die in the fish, he's spit back up on the land. Rather than killing him for his insolence, he says, let's try this again and go preach to Nineveh. 
Jonah goes. The people repent. Jonah's angry. He's angry at God. He says God is doing evil. God doesn't respond, but rather asks a question. Are you right to be angry? Jonah decides to sit outside the city and hope for its destruction. God says, let me try to teach you one more time. Let me try to teach it through a plant. He's not listening. I'm angry enough to die. How much mercy has Jonah experienced? But don't give those people a drop. That's Jonah's problem. Jonah is fine taking all of the mercy of God. But God, how dare you be merciful to those people? God's not okay with that kind of thinking. Because God loves to love people. And my first point to us is just to ask ourselves this. And I want to notice I didn't say, do you love people? I'm asking you, do you love to love people? God not only loves people, he loves to love people. And that's what he's trying to teach Jonah. Don't you understand why I love these people? You loved a plant. You did nothing for that but derive joy. God derives joy from his creation and from his people. He loves to love people. But do we? Do we love to love people? Now, let me frame this a little bit better because it's easy for us to answer, yes, I love to love people, the people in my family. I love to love people, my close friends. I love them. I love to love people. The people in this room, we get along great. We love each other. All hundred of us, we're doing great. We love each other. I love to love people. That's not the question. No, do you love to love all people? Remember what Jesus said. I say to you who are going to hear this, if you'll listen. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. I've got many more passages here, but just, I mean, we could just end, we could just put the period, drop the mic and end it right here. You're supposed to love, to love those people, whoever those people are, (laughs) you don't like. Love them and bless them and do good to them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. I mean, we read that sentence and we're like, are you kidding me? We have rights. How dare you tell me I have to do something like that? Because this is what it means to be a Christian. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. No, what we read that is, whoever strikes you on the cheek, you punch him twice over. (laughs) That's fair and right. How dare you? Punch me in the face, I'll punch you in the face. And from whom one takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. No, we'll take ours back and take theirs too. 
If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? I don't have time, but friends, we struggle with loving people who love us. And here Jesus says, if you absolutely ace loving people who love you, so what? Sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even the sinners do the same. You are absolutely no different. We want to put the little badge on us. Look at us. Look how we love each other here so much. What? That's not anything. Everybody loves people that love them. And if you're struggling with loving people who love you, that's a big question mark. That's certainly not Christianity. That's just called normal human interactions. Christianity is love those who hate you. Love to love people. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great for you will be sons of the most high. Now listen to this ending. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Did you catch that? Jonah doesn't understand this. God is kind even to the ungrateful. I know me. Oh, those ungrateful people. (laughs) Do we understand how much God loves to love people? Jesus walked around saying it to us. God loves to love people. Jonah only loved to love certain people. And he definitely did not love those Ninevites. Now, I've kept this in context through our series, and I want to remind you, remember, the people of Assyria, this is the capital city of Assyria, they were considered a cruel, awful, wicked despised people that the book of Nahum said, everybody's going to clap when you fall because nobody likes you. You guys are so evil and so awful. This isn't like, oh, well, you know, that country, they're our friends. It's not so bad. It's all right. It's fine. This is a wicked, wicked nation. And God is saying, I love people. Let me ask it this way. Are there certain people you really want to see judged? There's certain people you do not want God to show them mercy and save them from their sins. You want God to get them. That's Jonah. Jonah's sitting at the outside of the city going, God, you need to get them. Are there some people that we don't want to see come to repentance? 
It is very easy to read this book, sit here, condemn Jonah. (laughs) But having the heart of Jonah is not that hard to have. Do we love our comfort more than we love people? Jonah did. Jonah enjoyed his comfort far more than he loved people. Let me spin this the other way. Are you willing to be uncomfortable in your effort to love people? Now, sometimes we keep ourselves from loving others because that'd make us uncomfortable. Wouldn't be pleasant. Wouldn't be enjoyable. Why would I want to do that? As Dan reminded us at the table this morning, I think our Lord was just a little uncomfortable as he tried to love us. And sometimes we allow our comfort and that love for it to be higher than our love for people. Should we pity our air conditioning but have no pity for sinners? Should we have pity for our comfort but have no pity on the lost world? Are we far more concerned about our comforts than an evil world that certainly does not know its left hand from its right hand anymore? And I'll just end with this question. God loves to love people. And will we choose to love loving people? Don't just love them. Love to love them. Just like God does. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, this message to your prophet is so convicting and so hard. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for how often we have decided not to love others. For how often we've made excuses for why we choose not to love those in the world. Forgive us for when we've loved our comfort above loving your creation. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart that you have to love people. Help us to see souls when we look out into the world. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us that same kind of compassion, that same kind of zeal to want to see every soul saved. Lord, we know it is your heart to rescue the world and we pray that you would give us that heart. Lord, help us to break free from our comfort zones. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart and a care for this city like you do. And Lord, forgive us for all the times that we have failed at it. Help us to choose to love our enemies and to love our neighbor and to do good even in the face of evil. Help us to be that light. Help us to be that salt. 
and help us to represent you every day that we walk in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus this very morning, and I hope that you see how much God loves you so much that he does not want you to perish, and he wants you to turn away from your sins. He wants to rescue you from the coming judgment. He wants you to be with him for all eternity. He wants to have a relationship with you, and he's made it possible through the blood of his son. Would you decide today to live your life for him, to turn away from your sins, to confess Jesus, to be the Son of God, your Savior, your Lord, who died for you? If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, you need to do that today before it's too late. Have those sins washed away. Come up from the waters, resurrected with him, and join him for a wonderful life that is ahead of you. If you're ready to do that, you can let me know afterward. Talk to someone next to you afterward, or you can come forward right now while we stand and while we sing.